begin to pray and seek the Lord about this, I came up with the title, How to Fight God, which of course is like they would say clickbait on the internet. It's, um, it's, it's an adverse title, which of course I'm not going <laughs> to encourage anyone to fight God, but it, it, I want to grab your attention. So if you're sleepy or if you're otherwise distractible, get your attention. My next thought was, Lord, how does this relate to pastors' messages about impartation and spiritual authority and spiritual gifts? Um, the reality is, without humility, none of those things are operational in our life. Because humility literally opens a door to his miraculous working through me. Humility opens a door where I can receive impartation. Humility puts me in the place where I can hear from God and speak to someone's life. And how to fight God has a lot to do with humility or the lack thereof. So uh, we are working in the shadowy world of the supernatural. Uh, We must be careful that we're not to be found fighting against God. Everything works wonderfully when we're submitting to the right things and and resisting the wrong things. Okay, we're going to jump in. So what possible advice could you give to someone who wanted to fight God? Do weapons exist that can reach him? Would a tomahawk missile put a dent in God? Can you put God in a chokehold or grab him in a full Nelson or hit him with a roundhouse kick hard enough to make a difference? That sounds absolutely crazy because God is a spirit, right? We can't see him or lay hands on him. Yet the Bible insists that people have and currently Fight against God. And I pray that you're not. But if the Lord shows you that you are fighting God, you need to realize, Lord, I've got to change. I can't fight God and win, for sure. In Acts 5, and and this is the first thing I suppose that I would tell you, if you want to fight God, resist the supernatural and the miraculous. That is fighting God. Now, you may not realize it, but by resisting Supernatural things. By resisting the miraculous hand of God, in, in a sense, you are actually fighting God. You may say that, make excuses for it and say, well, that's, that's not me, or I'm not about that, or I don't want to be involved in that, or I'm glad to just be part of the church, or I'll just sit in the back. But, in, but according to the Word of God, you're fighting God. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles were challenged by the Sanhedrin council. Explain why you're preaching about this man... They wouldn't say his name in that passage, Jesus. And telling people that we are guilty of this man's blood. God gave Peter words to say, and the council was so convicted they were going to kill the apostles. So Gamaliel, an expert in religious law, had the men sent out, and this is what he had to say. My advice is leave these men alone and let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it's, if it's from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. You may not be able to throw an uppercut to God's chin, but you can fight against the things he's doing. His call, his plans, his gospel message. As a matter of fact, you may be fighting that tonight. That may have been a fight going on for years. God may have a call on your life. Yes, yes, it could. 
And you can be resisting that, thinking that it's just not for you, or maybe that's, maybe you're not sure about it, but in reality, you're fighting God. God has a work. God's doing a work. Now, I want to make, make it clear to you from this passage, it's interesting to me that Gamaliel, even though he's an expert in religious law, didn't necessarily believe that the disciples were telling the truth. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that he was converted or was a secret believer. He just said it in a general sense. Just be careful. You never know. He gave examples of other people that were doing things on their own, and it came to nothing. And so the attitude prevails that maybe these are the same thing. But be careful. You never know who you're fighting against. Looks can be deceiving. What looked to be less than educated, unimpressive, yet rapidly growing pseudo-religious group was actually the work of the Almighty. Wow. To me, when I read that sentence, and I've reread it and reread it, that is a caution to me. We are so used to things working in a certain fashion with certain people at certain times. This is how it's supposed to work. And anything outside, outside of that would be, well, that may not, that's probably not from God. But God is not bound to how we think it has to work. God can fill people with the Holy Ghost in the altar and their seat. They can get it while standing and sitting. It happened in the Bible. And in this situation, you could have sat with those religious leaders and say, they're not educated. They're ragtag. There's hardly anybody with them. They're unimpressive. It's not really religious. But all the while, they were wrong. Of course, the key part about that was the name of Jesus. And I think about this when I said, Lord, is your word full of people that didn't realize that you were working? And the word is. It's just a stone from my head and a place of sleep, right? Is that right, Jacob? The Bible says, and he came to a certain place and stayed there overnight because the sun was set. Taking one of the stones of the place he put under his head and lay down there. A few verses later, Jacob wakes up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Wow. I feel that way about our services here. I do. I saw a magazine just a short time ago, uh, the Terre Haute magazine of the top 100 things to do in Terre Haute. There were biking, there was places to visit, there were arts. You know what was not in the top 100? New Life Fellowship. Not in there. Now, you may think that's funny. Of course, you're not going to say, you got it, you can't miss one of those services. But do you realize that's how the world views this? As less than biking? As less than visiting some old mausoleum? Do they realize that they don't realize that the Lord is here? That happens. That's a Holy Ghost move. Bigger than man, bigger than people, bigger than any, anything you can imagine. That's the power of God. But you know, we can do the same thing. We literally can come through, pass through, go on our way and not realize God was in that. That was the hand of the Lord. We've got to be careful. Every part of that in mentality, whether we know it or not, is fighting against God. That's fighting against God. To resist God is literally to fight God. This same morning was given up to Paul was being brought for the council as a prisoner. He seemed to be just another prisoner. Just another prisoner. And a great uproar ensued in Acts 23. And some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up and thoroughly fought the case, continuing fiercely. 
the Amplified Version says, declaring, we find nothing evil or wrong with this man. But if a spirit or an angel really spoke to him, let us not fight against God. Wow. Now, my second point, how to fight God, would be resist the gospel. To resist the message and resist the messenger. Hmm. Opposition to the gospel in the scriptures is uniformly regarded as opposition to God. Isn't that shocking? The world would say, I love God. I don't want anything to do with the gospel. I love God. I don't want anything to do with that church. I am a godly person. I don't want to have anything to do with all those Christian things. They slice and dice those two things, but God doesn't look at it that way at all, does he? God looks at his gospel, his message, and resisting that as resisting him. That's God reaching to people and having their hands slapped back. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, and I didn't put included here, one of the saddest prayers in the Bible, the prayer that breaks my heart, is when the Bible says that the crowd gathered to find this crazy man who'd been in the tombs, this man who had been cutting himself and causing havoc, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. There's a prayer that's prayed there. Jesus answered the prayer, and it's the saddest prayer in the Bible. A lot of things happened. Pigs jumped off a cliff, all drowned. Crazy man's now transformed. God's helped them. Naked people are clothed. Thank God for that. We'd all be saying hallelujah. All the horrible things. And you think, now that's all great. Everyone should be happy. But they prayed a prayer. The Bible says, and they prayed him, prayed Jesus, that he would leave their coast, that he would go away. And Jesus did. He did leave. Do you know that the Lord will honor that prayer too today? Leave me alone, and he will leave you alone. He's a gentleman. He loves us. His gospel is reaching you right now. You think it's an option to hear the message and not do anything with it and just go along your, on your life. But the Lord says that you're resisting me. You're actually fighting against me. I'm calling you. One day, and I pray it never happens, but one day it may be that you'll stand before God and he'll say, I called you over and over and over. I tried to draw you, and you resisted me. You set yourself up again as the enemy of me. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I wish you could hear me. I wish you could hear the message and realize you may stand before the Almighty and say, Lord, I never resisted you. I didn't fight you. I'm not your enemy. Yes, when you resist my message and my messenger, when you over and over and over again push back against me, that's resisting God. Oh, I feel the Lord just challenging us. I feel the Holy Ghost calling me. I don't want to be one fighting God. Mm. Listen to what Stephen said. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers did, so do you. The word resist is basically a military term to fight against or to rage and battle against. Isn't that crazy? That I was shocked to find that out. Resist is really a military term. It means to fight against or to rage against. It's not just how I've always thought, a stiff arm to God, or a closed door, or no, or I'll, I'll try later. 
It's literally to fight against. They would say to the armies, we're getting attacked. We must resist. We must come up. We have to have resistance. That means to fight against, to drive them back. When Stephen said, you do resist the Holy Ghost, he was saying, you're fighting against the Holy Ghost. You're, you're doing the same thing your fathers did when they killed the prophets. You're fighting the Holy Ghost. And Stephen is telling, telling them things that will help their life, but they're not receiving it. Proverbs says this, There is no wisdom or understanding nor counsel against the Lord. Who can fight the Lord? Who can win a battle against God? The next verse says, The horse is prepared for the day of safety, but safety is of the Lord. You can have the most wonderful horse and wonderful defense and all the things that you can imagine. If you fight against God, who can win? The answer is nobody. Second Chronicles, O oh, children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God or your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. That's a message to you and me. You should underline prosper. You want to prosper? You want to do well? Whatever that means, whether that's blessings of God and your family, your mind, your peace, your finances, here's the, here's the answer. You won't prosper if you fight against God. What's 2 Timothy say? Now as Janus and Jambers withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Underline the truth. What were they resisting? They were resisting the truth. That was the battle there. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. I don't want to be in that camp. Amen? I, I have, uh, my heart just begins to, I don't know, just like be so pounded within me as I begin to think of this next part because I have been blessed of God to be raised in a confident family. I've always thought of myself as confident because of my way my mom and dad have acted and the way we've treated us and the way they've talked about life and the way mom's talked about how everybody loves you. I, I've heard that since I was a child. Everyone loves me. Everybody loves you, Scott. Of course they do. Why wouldn't they love you? If they don't love you, then pray for them. Something may be wrong with them. <laughs> I, is that, now, to you all, that sounds crazy, but that sounds like normal to me. I thought that. Oh, God, God help them. That's all right. They'll be, Lord will heal them. I just thought that's how it was. I was surprised to find otherwise. So, <laughs> and, you know, they say nine out of ten people improve upon closer inspection. That's true. You just got to get really, some people got to get really close to them. I mean, it takes a lot of inspection. But eventually you find something that will improve. I, I've always been raised that way, and I thank God for that. I feel, you know, I feel like it's a blessing in my heritage. Until I started reading the Amplified Bible, I read through Proverbs in five different versions recently just to get a feel for all the different concepts. And the Amplified Bible mentions this version of a fool. There's multiples in the Bible. It mentions this one, a self-confident fool, 49 times. Uh-oh, that's, that's not good. When I read that, I said, wait a minute. Hold on, Lord. I thought that we sh- people should be confident. I thought they should be, you know, have self-confidence is the right thing, that they should be confident themselves, that they should feel good about themselves, and the world talks about that, and, you know, love yourself, and forgive yourself, and be nice to yourself, and all this self, a lot of self-self. Think about yourself, and I I don't know, take a self-picture of yourself and call it a selfie. I don't know 
how that all works. And you know what? That is harder than it looks. I promise you. Sunday night, I came home, and I, uh, Jen had an outfit on. She hasn't worn for a long time. And, man, she was whew, beautiful. And I said, I want a picture of me and you in the kitchen. I want to send it to the kids and say, your mom is, I said, hot, of course. Your mom is so hot. <laughs> and, of course, they were grossed out by that. But I don't know why. But anyway, I, I was in the kitchen, and we're standing there. And I said, okay, we're going to do this. And I got the phone, flip, I hit the little flip around thing that's facing us. And I put it up there and I had my hand around her. And I said, how do I let go of the phone to hit that button at the same time? I promise you for a full minute, I was like, I told my deal, I'm going to hit it, I'm going to drop the phone and hit it in flight. I don't know what to do. We had several photos of, uh, of cabinetry and the top of our head. <laughs> it was, so, that's more difficult than I, I have never known it's been so hard. So the question to me, when I begin to pray and say, Lord, what is this self-confident fool? I don't want to be a self-confident fool. And I begin to think, where does my confidence lie? Where does my confidence lie? Where, what is the basis of my confidence? According to the Bible, a self-confident fool, his confidence is in himself. Something he's done, something he has, something he is. What is the source of your glory? Proverbs talks a lot about glory. Young men glory in their strength. Old men glory in their gray hair. I don't know which, what I am. I guess I'm neither one right now. Grand, grandparents glory in their grandchildren. Fathers glory in their sons. That's glory to say that, oh, I just, I love that. What do you depend on? That's, that is a big question. You know, when you're under stress, when you're under a serious pressure in life, when things are not going well, or even when things are going well, but you've just got a lot of them to right now, who you really are or what you really train yourself will come out. What you depend on will come out. It will come out of you. You may be surprised by what's in you. What do you depend upon when you're in those situations? What's the difference between a self-confident fool and the right kind? Well, it's God-confident. That's the difference. A self-confident fool is confident in their ability. That lends itself to the attitude of pride. A God-confidence is, I don't have to be anything or know anything or do anything great, but you should see who my Father is. You should know how, yeah, I may not have a lot. You should see how rich my dad is. I may not know what to do, but you should know my, my God knows what to do. He's got power. That is a different source, a fountain of confidence that can never stop. No matter how old you get or how tired or weak or strong or whatever happens in life or stress, that is the beautiful source. Listen to the words. Consider and understand, you stupid ones among the people and you self-confident fools, when will you become wise? The wise shall inherit glory, all honor and good, but shame is the highest rank conferred on self-confident fools. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish and self-confident son is the grief of his mother. There are precious treasures and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a self-confident and foolish man swallows it up and wastes it. And I did not put in the next 45. Aren't you thankful? I just did four out of the 49. I know you've turned your papers. Just stay with me just a minute. Hold on. Everything about resisting God, everything about fighting God, starts in that basis of my mentality. 
Who is my source? If I am the source, I have reasons to resist God. If God is my confidence, I can accept whatever He wants. He is the Father. I'm the kid. He is the great God Almighty, and I am not. He is the Savior. I'm the sinner. I need Him. You see how that's different? That's the camp of of humility and the camp of pride. Where does my confidence come from? If you realize, if you truly, truly, genuinely realize that you are one of a kind on this earth, there's no body like you, no body like you on the planet, better than an individualism of a snowflake, better than anything anybody can ever point to. There's no one like you. You have no competition. Who can be you? Nobody. Who can pray your prayers? No one. Who can have the relationship with God that you can? Nobody. You can do a work for God that nobody else can do because He's crafted it for you. The Bible says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He is your creator. When you, when you get close up to the Lord and spend time with Him, you'll walk out of there with your head held high. Not because you're great, because He loves you so much. Nothing of this world can pull you down when you've spent time with the Lord like that. You're able to say, I am God's kid. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul does know that right well. God put His Spirit in me. He loves me. He's anointed me. He's called me. Do you see that? That's a source of God confidence, not Scott confidence. Amen? It's just like the old acronym, the KISS acronym. You heard that before, right? Keep it simple, Scott. That's what they wrote that for. People have changed it, but it's that's the original, probably. Okay. Some of you may not know my jokes, but that's okay, because I laugh at them, and therefore, at least I think they're funny. Here's number four. Continue to resist God and his work of the Spirit by being proud. Now, I, I want you with all your heart, mind, and soul to receive this. If I was getting paid right now for the impact it would have on your life, if you were paying me, you'd be paying me thousands of dollars, this could change your life. I really believe it. Not because it's me, because of the Word of God. I promise you. It will, can transform your life because it's a, it's a key. It's a key to the door. You can stand outside with pride and miss all the God's blessings. With humility, you can walk right in and receive all of God's blessings. Do you hear what I'm saying? You'll find yourself in one of two camps throughout your walk, throughout your walk with God. Submitting to God or resisting God. Humble or proud. Yielding or stiff-necked. Open or closed. Your body language tells which group you are in at any moment. Imagine with me a classroom. Whether it's high school or college, whatever you can think about. Imagine a classroom. Okay? Now, I'm going I'm to paint a picture, and you tell me which camp that's in. The camp of the humble, the camp of the proud. Kid comes in the classroom, sits in the back, folds his or her arms, maybe doodles, doesn't pay much attention, doesn't really care. Right away, you know there's a body language that's saying, I don't need to be here. 
I already know this material. You have nothing you need to teach me. This is not important. That is pride. Without the mouth saying anything, that's pride. Now watch this one. Kid comes in, leans forward on, on the desk. Hands are like this. Eyes are up, writing. Wants to be near the front. Is eager, even maybe turn, turn to look, look, look and listen, to catch something. When kids are talking, they want to shush them and just want to, I want to hear that. That is humility. That's, that's okay, because what you're seeing is, you know something I want to learn. You know something I want to hear. I've been with people who have paid a lot of money for a conference. I went to one for free because I had family that was part of it. I went to another one that I paid a lot of money myself to be part of. When you get older and you're not in high school or college, the pretend not paying, but you really are paying, but you loan money, but you don't know it, so you don't really think about it as you're paying, one day you'll get to a place where you actually pay for someone to teach you, and you think differently. Holy Toledo. If there's, there's a thousand bucks on the line, you get out of my way. I want to hear what the man's saying. This is a real estate thing. I want to know. I've got to hear. That's, why am I, is that, is that being like a doormat? Of course not. That's not humility of, of being low and kicked on the ground like a dog. That's humility saying, you have been where I want to go. You know things I've got to hear. I'm not coming down here paying time and money and vacation or taking days and all this stuff just to be here and leave without getting something. I've got to hear from you. You're the master and I, I want to be the student. You're going to teach me and I'm going to catch it. Imagine if you came to church like that. Imagine if your body language said, I want to hear what God has to say. God is going to do something here and I want to hear it. I don't want to miss it. Imagine if you were like that. I've got to hear it. I've got to receive it. This is the place of God. Imagine the attitude that says, I won't go to the altar even if there's a fire in the building and the fire's behind me. I know that's ridiculous, but I feel other people like that. Yes. Pastors even said, who will raise their hand if they ever yes? Who raise their hand for no? Who will raise their hand if they never raise their hand? And of course, when he does that, I always raise my hand because I want to think that's a cool group to be a part of. <laughs> but that literally happens. Some of us come in here and we are, we're like this. We're like, I'm never going, I don't need to go there. I'm not going to the altar. No, I'm not going to go pray. I don't need anyone to pray for me. Which, which attitude is that? Is that submitting to God or resisting God? You tell me. Come on, I, I am talking about life right here. This Holy Ghost thing that God's putting through my mouth and my spirit could really transform your mentality and your spirit, your mind. God led me to a man, I, I was talking to him in a store a week ago, and I saw him, I said, I haven't seen you in church in so long, what's happened, I miss you, how are you doing? We caught up with him, and I said, bro, why, why haven't you been back to church in a long time? And he said, oh, I don't know. And I don't know what came over me. I just said, I know the reason. He said, you do? I said, yeah, pride. And he said, yeah, that's, I guess that's right. Yeah, that's what it is. Because that's what it is, isn't it? What would keep us from opening our arms and saying, Lord, whatever you want, I want it. What is that? What, would clo- what closes me up? That's pride. Oh, Jesus. Your body language tells you which group you're in at any moment. Am I receptive? Am I open? Am I, yes, Lord, whatever you want? Or am I closed up? Listen to this verse. I 
got this one this morning as my verse of the day. And you've heard it many times. A man that hath friends in Proverbs must show himself friendly. Underline show himself. And there's a friend that's sicker closer than a brother. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Here's what pride says. Pride says, oh, you know what? You can't underline that because I didn't put in your stuff, did I? Wow. But some of you are underlining things. That's what confused me. Wow, you guys are amazing. I said underline. You're underlining. I'm underlining something. I don't know what you told me to do. I want to underline it. I'm part of this thing. I didn't put it there. So <laughs> it's extra. Okay. It's Proverbs 18. Verse 24, you can write that down and then underline it yourself. And write down the word show. Show himself friendly. Proverbs 18, 24. Write down show somewhere next to that. It really is S-H-E-W. You can put S-H-O-W. It's the same thing. Show. Pride says this. Look, I'm here. They want to be friends? They can talk to me anytime they want to. That's pride. Hey, I, they know I love them. They, they know, they know I'm, I care about their lives. They, they know. They know. They, can, they want to talk to me. They, hey, I haven't moved from this seat in eight years. They can find me. It's not like I have a you know, missing zip code. I'm right over here. What is humility? Humility says, I will go to them and show myself friendly. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to use my face. Part of my face, the part that does stuff, the part that says things like, I love you, and how, how are you, and how, how has life been, and what's going on? I've been in a lot of houses lately. I've been in so many houses, I don't remember anymore. I, it's gotten to where it's like the short-term memory. I just throw it in the back. It's way back there. Forget it. Go in the house, forget it. I just forget because I can't keep track anymore. For houses, for houses, for house. Now that I've got Jeff Huttiger with me uh, as my, I don't know, sidekick or compatriot, whatever he is, I don't know. He's, he's my helper. He remembers. Scott, remember that house you were in? Had the really big dog that barked, all this stuff, and I need a lot of help. I said, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Because I, I don't remember. You just After a while, I just start losing them. But I see a lot of dogs. I see a lot of cats. And if you're a cat person... Give me some mercy and grace. But for the most part, just be honest here, for the most part, cats represent pride. And puppies represent humility. Now, is that true or not? Come on. Come on. Be honest. I know your cat may love you. But I walk in houses, and the cat gives me an attitude. It doesn't talk in English, but it speaks to me and says, look, this is my rug, my couch, you want to come over here and play with me or look at me, that's fine, but I'm not going to talk to you. Cats are pride. Puppy dogs are all humility. What do they do? They want to love on you. Their tails are moving. Their little whole back of sides moving. They want to lick and, and they don't even know me. I never met them. They just, they want to love on me. Oh, yeah. Pride, you think about that. Pride is a cat. Yes, it is. That's almost the gospel. That's close. It's right in there. It's under the line somewhere. It's right there. And puppy dogs are humility. Now think about that. This verse says to show, show yourself friendly. Puppy dogs do that. They show without any confusing signals. I am happy to see you. I love you. I want your attention. I want to give you attention. 
in no uncertain terms. I want to be your friend. I like you very much. Mm. That's a perfect real-life example of humility versus pride. Now, what is the show part of the verse? The show is not, well, it's in my heart. Oh, really? No. The show is not in your intentions, is it? No. The show is out in the open. Stop making excuses for what you intend or what you meant or how you feel. Stop it. Start examining your show. Is your show a scowl? Is your show more like a puffer fish? Ready to puff up and explode any moment? You know what I do with those kind of people? You want to be around it because you never know. You touch them, oh, they're puffer fish. I'm serious. I've been, you know that? Come on. Some of you act like puffer fish. Something goes bad, all of a sudden you're puffer fish. Everybody around you, so be careful. It's poisonous. Don't careful. Touch it. It'll hurt you. Is your show more like a cat with a stinky attitude that says, I'm not sure I want to acknowledge your presence? God knows your heart, but I don't know your heart. Well, some of you say, I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to pretend I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend to like people I don't like. I'm not going to put on a show. That doesn't sound like humility to me. That sounds a lot more like pride. I am talking, talking to you right now about life-changing things. I promise if you will have value on this part of the message, it can change your life. Listen to me. The Bible does say verses about putting on things. Did you know that? No, it doesn't say to be fake or disingenuous or two-faced or hypocritical. But it says this in Romans 13, 14. Write it down. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on. Say put on. The Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fill the luster of. There are things you should put on. Not fake. But you put on something that's not you. And you say, well, that's not how I feel. It doesn't matter. Is that how Jesus feels? Then put on what Jesus does. But I, I don't, I don't mean not like them. How does Jesus feel about them? Put that on. It does say to put on some things. Listen to this in Romans 13, 14 in the New Living Translation. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. But that's just not me. It's not the way I was raised. It's not what's in my heart. Where does it say in the Bible that God wants you to be you? It doesn't say that. Instead, he says, I want you to deny you. I want you to deny your flesh. I want you to deny your natural automatic behaviors. I want you to put your carnal flesh in submission to my spirit. Amen? That's, that's the word of God. There actually is a whole lot of putting on in the Bible. Listen to this one in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, you may want to write this down, we're going to read it later, 22 through 24. That ye put off... Concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on, say put on, the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. Some of you right now, right now, while I'm talking, right now, you need to examine yourself and say, am I reacting to this message in humility, or am I reacting to this message in pride?
You need to examine your show. I know that's just one example of the many we have. We need to look at your show, not put on a show, but how do you show yourself to people? What is your show? What is it? Angry? Mad? Upset? Disinterested? Care less? That's not humility. That's pride. And what are you putting on? We have a battle. I have a battle. You have a battle. All of us have a battle. We need the Word of God. We need prayer. We need this church. We need pastor. We need some things of God. Why? Because there's a world out there that wants to put on us a different mind. Put on us a different behavior. Put on us different desires. That's a battle we fight. we got to get clean of all that and put on Jesus Christ. Putting on Jesus Christ feels awkward. It does. To go around saying, I can do everything God wants you to do. For some of you, that's very hard to say. God loves me. God is not angry with me. That's some of you, that's hard to say. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm encouraged. I hope God does great things in your life. For some of you, that's hard to say. I remember the day, I was 15 years old, I made the fateful decision. I was actually had to steal my nerves. I was scared. I was tense about it. For whatever reason, in our church at that time, there weren't very many teenagers. And I had just heard somebody at a church previously I went to Amen in the preacher. So I was sitting over here. I'll never forget it. I thought, okay, I'm, I want to be like that. I want to amen the preacher. So I don't know what my dad was preaching about. I have no idea. If it was even good, I'm sure it was. It had to be. Maybe. I don't know. And I just said, amen. And oh, I was, everybody turned around looked at me. I mean, the kids were like this. Like looking around other people to see who said that. And I just, boy, I thought that was so embarrassing. But then I tried another one. Amen. And I just was, and I, after a while, it took me a while to grow into that. But I finally began to be the amen guy. I did until one service I was in got me in trouble. A guy, a young man came and preached and he said, we want the Lord, don't we? Amen. And nobody here wants to be lost, do they? No. Anybody want to go to hell, say amen. Of course, I was the only one in the church that said, amen. And that was you know, that was wrong of him, but I probably should have been listening, too. Those are things that don't go together. Oh, Lord. Pride is literally fighting against God. Do you understand that the enemy of our soul, Lucifer, is best known by this one word, pride? That's his mentality. The, all of the message we have from him of, I will ascend to the... Most high. I will take the throne of God. That's pride. That's the last thing we want. Pride is literally putting yourself in his camp, fighting against God. Having a humble spirit is the only way you can ever be working with God instead of against him. It's a key to walking with God. It opens the door to everything he wants to do with you and give to you. Listen to these verses. Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, they may serve me. I'm asking you today, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord? How long will you make excuses for why you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord? 
I, I can do this without words, and so can you. I can do it without words. You can, you can see me put on a prideful attitude. You can see me shut down. You can see me get, put distance between me and praying people. You can see it. You can see me also, without me seeing anything, put on a spirit of humility and just be open and hungry and say, Lord, whatever you want, I want it. You can see it in my, my, my behavior, my fingers, my, my face, my cry, my head lifted to the heavens. If my people, the Lord told Solomon, which are called by my name, what did they do first? Pray, right, Lord? No, no. Seek my face? No. Turn from wicked ways? No. It says, humble themselves. That's the beginning part. Fasting and humility are often linked in the Bible. You'll find it more over and over again. They humbled themselves and they were saying they were fasting. We're going to humble ourselves by fasting. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from the wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their lamb. Proverbs 29, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, Isaiah said, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is working today. Who is he working with? Those who are humble in heart. Those who are contrite in spirit. Those who say, Lord, I need you. Who did Jesus work with? He was available for everybody. Everyone. They're all there. Anybody could go to the house. Anybody could be around him. Yet he told the people, those who are healthy, or at least think they are, have no need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners. Oh God, I want to stand in a place and say, Lord, I need you. If there's anybody this church needs you, I need you. If there's anybody that's a sinner and needs the Lord's forgiveness, I need it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He's calling you. Take a minute right now and lift a hand and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. It's me, Lord. It's me that's standing in the need of thee. I'm standing in your need of you right now. Yes, that's humility to say, Lord, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm reaching out to you because you're the great I am. I need you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus said it. He said, Here's, I'm going to set a precedent for all time. I will fix all of the problems that all of your disciples will have. Whosoever will humble themselves as this little child. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to find the greatest one? I'll find the one for you, Jesus said. Now, he didn't put in there something that you may think should be there. Whoever God will humble, it doesn't say that. Whoever a minister will humble, it doesn't say that. Whoever gets humbled by bad things, it doesn't say that. Whoever goes through enough trouble and is humble, it doesn't say that. Whoever humbles himself as a little child, as a little child, That is your call. You've got the power to do it right now. You literally can say, Lord, it's me. I want to be that child before you. I'm I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be resistant. There are people that, that are afraid to get prayed for, are afraid to look bad, are afraid to be embarrassed. That is a root of pride. I talked to a man who 
who saw people get prayed for the Holy Ghost. He saw it happen. We were in a place where he was seeing his daughter-in-law get prayed through, and she was crying, and people were praying for her, and it's five, six, seven, eight minutes, and then she finally started speaking in tongues. He got me to the side and said, Brother Scott, I want to talk to you. I said, okay, sure. He said, I, I want the Holy Ghost. I said, well, awesome. He said, no, hold, hold, wait, hold on a minute. I said, okay, all right. He said, I, I, I know that's for me. I need it. I want it in my life. But I've been talking to God about how to do it. I said, really? He said, yeah, I think this is how I need to do it. I've got, you know, um, a pond that's got some property. I'm going to go out there on my dock and just go walk out there on the dock. And I'm going to talk to the Lord. And then he'll give me the Holy Ghost out there. And I won't have to be embarrassed by anybody looking at me and crying, all this crazy stuff. I just, hopefully, maybe God will do it that way. <laughs> no, why was he saying that? It's pride, right? It's pride. Why do we want to have the Holy Ghost and just be, you know, keep our dignity? That, that, that's an attitude of pride. That's not humility. That's not a little child. That's a spirit of saying, I want your best my way. I want what your word says, but I want it in these conditions. Ooh, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Both resistance and humility are before you. You get to choose. James says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, fights against them, but gives grace to the humble. What did Peter say? Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That's not pride. That's humility. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Who's going to humble you? You will. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We love when the Lord is on our side, fighting our battles, working for us. We love when the Lord is fighting. People say, I want the Lord to fight my battles. We sing about it. He's going to fight my battles. Exodus 14, 14 says that can happen. The Lord shall fight for you, and you'll hold your peace. But what if the Lord is fighting against us? That can never be a good thing. Jeremiah 21 and 5 says, And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand. And a strong arm, even anger and fury and great wrath. That's also a set of God. By your pride, you'll resist God and fight against him. Tell me, what did the Lord say to the church in Pergamos, one of those seven churches in Revelation? He said this, repent. That's to change. That's not just to say with mouth, but that's both I'm sorry here and change your direction. Repent or else I will come quickly and will fight against them. With the sword of my mouth, I, I hazard to say, and I say it as carefully as I can, the Holy Ghost, could it be that some of the problems you're having in your life because God is fighting against you? That, that was a church that was in our dispensation of grace. That's a Holy Ghost church. That's a church that the Lord, the Lord established. That's his church. I don't want to fight against God. I don't want God fighting against me. So what do you want? Jesus asked the question, so what did you go out to see? Talking about John the Baptist. Everything you need and everything you want from Jesus, humility is the key to open the door. 
Pride isn't simply making you miss out. God resists the proud or fights against them. Do you want a healing? Do you need a miracle? Do you want salvation? you need answers? you need direction? you want a change in your life? Your humility will not make people do right. It will not make people like you better. But it will open the door to all that God wants to do and can do through you. Let him be the teacher. Let you be the student. Let's put him back in the rightful place of being the Savior. And you the one that really needs a Savior. Make him the king and you be the servant. Can a man fight against God? The answer is yes. I feel the Lord just calling us and speaking to us. I want to hear the voice of the Spirit. I've been in places that I thought this was not a big thing. And to realize later, the Lord was there. That was a God thing. God was moving. How is it that God can move around five people and touch the sixth one. How is that possible that God can be in a place where the word says Jesus was there and there was power present to heal them and none of them get healed? Someone from the outside has four friends that get him inside the building and he's the one that gets healed. How is it that the Lord can just pass us on by? What makes him pass me by? It's not his unwillingness, it's not his lack of ability. It's not because he's busy or tired. It's because of my pride. Am I open to the Lord saying, Lord, whatever you want, I want it. Whatever you want, I want it. Stay with me right now, would you? Feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I want to just wait in the Lord right now. Would you just think about the Lord? Talk to him quietly right now. Lord Jesus, you're in this house. You are the awesome, mighty God. You are the high and lofty one. There's nobody like you. You are holy and pure and righteous. Nobody will ever stand in judgment of you, God, and say you weren't there when I needed you. Nobody, Lord, will just say you let me down, Lord. No one will stand in judgment of you and say you didn't help me, Lord. No one, Lord. Your hand is reaching out to us even right now. How merciful you are to even the prideful. You're reaching. You even call them with a message, Lord, and remind us, Lord. Oh, to turn, turn from our ways. Let there be a turning, Lord. If it has to be physical, to turn us around. Turn us, Lord. Turn us from our ways, Lord. Turn us unto the living God, a living hope, a lively hope, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, folks, right now, this is the right time. Just for a short time, this, the end of this message, just focus your mind on the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to talk to me. I want you to, I want you to help me, Lord. Help me in spite of myself. Help me to get beyond myself to hear from you, Lord. Receive your direction. Let the word have its effect upon me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm convinced with all my heart, I'm convinced that some of the miraculous things of God that have happened, I know in my life and I think in the Bible, some of those, some of those have been nothing more than getting pride out of the way so God could work. 
getting pride out of the way, flesh out of the way, so God could work. Not that God needed them to do this, this, and this, so much for him to work. It had nothing to do with him. Before my dad ever took the pastorate in Troy, Missouri, there was a story of a man who had come there and was ministering, and all the older saints talked about it with reverence and as a time of God. He was preaching and doing his best and ministering, and I don't know if there was much happening. There was an old clock on the wall right smack in the center in the back above the two doors that led out the swinging uh, glass and wood doors. And he told everyone, I feel like the Lord wants us just to, everybody in this place, just turn around and look at that clock. Now, that doesn't seem to make much sense. That's not really anywhere in the Bible. I don't know how that even helps. But they all did, all in their seats, just turned around uncomfortably and looked at the clock. And something happened in the spirit. People began to cry and fall out and Holy Ghost going to move and like a wave just come from this side and the other side. And you think, Lord, why, why would that even make a difference? It has nothing to do with the clock or the direction they're facing. It has everything to do with the direction their heart's facing. When they're full of themselves and thinking of themselves and pride, you've got to get pride out of the way. Why does fasting make a difference? Why does it help? God doesn't get stronger because we fast. He doesn't like us more because we fast. He's not better able to do things we fast. It's simply getting me out of the way so he can move through me. I pray the Holy Ghost has moved in your life. I pray that part of the word you've snatched it up and you made it valuable. You, you made it worthwhile. You made it, oh, I've got to have this word. I'm going to eat it and chew on it. It's the same word whether you use it or you just let it fall to the ground. Mm. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, I thank you for your holy word. Your word says the scripture cannot be broken. Your word says... My word is established forever. Your word is powerful and holy. Your word is able to save to the uttermost. Your word is a living word.